Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Well, guys, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one member of the body suffers, then all of it suffers. You slam your hand in the car door and all of a sudden the whole body jumps up and there's kitchens and there's running for hopefully for help to get to the ice pack or to get to the medicine cabinet. We don't tell our body, hey, everybody, one part's hurting. We should all get involved in this. It's just something that the body, our body, does naturally whenever one part of our body gets hurt. The rest of the body, it's like a signal is sent out and it's just everybody alert. We have pain. We need to take care of this. And our physical body is the example Paul is using to explain the body of Christ. Look at the next verse. It says, for we are Christ's body and we are individually members of it. We're all different parts of Christ's body, but we're still a part. And if one member of the body is honored, then all of the members of the body will rejoice with it. It was just one part being complimented, but we don't differentiate and say, well, that's just one part that did that. If one part of your body is honored, you're supposed to rejoice, right? I mean, we do it naturally. Why don't we do that naturally when it comes to when one member of the body of Christ is honored? Pride. We're jealous. Why do they get honored? Why does someone compliment them? For, oh, what a good job you do, pancake lady. Always making those nice pancakes for everyone. And then someone else is jealous. My wife has been doing the homeless feeding for so many years and is always behind the scenes practicing the gift of hospitality. And Paul's about to go on and talk about some of the gifts of the Spirit. But he says not all of us have every gift. Or some of us have one gift. Now, it doesn't matter what gift you have from God. What's important with God? that you use the gift he gave you. He gave that whole parable of the talent thing that whatever gift you have, you use it. Well, my wife's been using that gift of hospitality, of cooking food for the homeless for so many years. And there was a fellow, we called him blue-haired Steve. He would bleach his hair completely blonde and then dye it bright blue. And every time he would do that, he'd whack out. And so he came one day and goes, I'm going to kill you to Jan." right at the beach, threatened her, right in front of the fellows while we were serving food, because I want to serve the food. I want everyone to love me because they all love you. So Jan's cooking all this stuff, and this blue-haired Steve shows up and says, I'm going to kill you because everyone loves you, but they don't love me. He's crying, I need love. He had the problem, what Paul described right in verse 26, of he wasn't, as another member of the body, rejoicing that my wife was being honored with praise of thank you for the nice breakfast, thank you for the wonderful hot meal, whatever the praises were that she was receiving. I submit to you, the reason that we get bugged out about someone else being honored is usually because we're not busy using the gift what we were given. If we're busy doing the gift God gave us, we'll get the praise we're accorded on the right day that we're meant to get. But it'll come from us being faithful at using our gift. Whatever your gift is, if you tell kids, God has a gift for you, a present, their ears go, they're like ready to hear all that you can tell them. Tell me everything. What gifts are there? How many can I have? Your kids don't think like, can I just have one? Listen, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are so good. You should want at least 10. 
but even one would be a fantastic blessing. And getting it is just the first part. Using it is where the real fulfillment is. Because God knows what gift suits you. How to give you the right gift for you. And you use it. And then it's like all of a sudden life is worth living. I mean, you get to enjoy life the way it was meant to be. Now, what gifts are there? Paul, he's already been introducing some of the gifts. And the chapter is going to end with just a recap of a thought of some of the gifts. And I'll, I'm going to add a few more of these from other passages in just a minute. But let's read this together. It says here in verse 28, God has appointed in the church, first, the gift of apostleship. There's apostles. And second, there's prophets. Third is teachers. Then there are miracles. And then there's gifts of healing. There's the gift of helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Now, Paul says, all are not apostles, are they? And all are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, and all are not workers of miracles, are they? And all do not have the gifts of healing, do they? And all do not speak with tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? Now, some Pentecostal churches need to read this. And many of you heard the teaching, if you didn't speak with the gift of tongues, you didn't have the Holy Ghost. Because that's a gift that everyone gets. Does it say that right here? It says, all do not speak with tongues, do they? Okay, I have a question for you. What if you have the gift of healing? Tim has the gift of praying for someone and they get healed. But he can't speak in tongues. Does he have God's spirit? Yeah. What if you have the gift of working miracles, but you can't speak in tongues? Does he have God's spirit? In the book of Acts, to the early disciples, it says that these guys were in Jerusalem at the time of the Pentecost. That's a high holy holiday in Jewish culture. That's following 50 days after the Passover. Now, the Jews would come from all over the world to get to Jerusalem. And it wasn't like hop a plane and you're there. Can you imagine you're going to trek up from Ethiopia to Jerusalem? How many months, maybe a year, to get to Jerusalem? And you get there at Passover time. You plan your whole trip so that you're going to be there for the Passover. And then you stay till the day of Pentecost because you're not going to just turn around after you tracked a couple continents and then go, yeah, okay, I was here for Passover. Let's go home. You stay. Hey, it's Jewish holidays, high holy time. Let's stay till Pentecost. You stay till Pentecost. There's people from all over the world in Jerusalem at this time. And Jesus told his disciples, you guys go wait in the upper room and pray until you receive power to be my witnesses. Now, what happened at Pentecost? Remember in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and the Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire, and it came down upon them, resting on each one. And they went out into the street, and they began proclaiming the mighty deeds of God. They're all talking about the great things God did. Except that something curious happened. The people were going, hey, wait a minute, I'm Roman, and I can hear these guys speaking my dialect. I'm from Arabia, and they're speaking Arabic, and each person was hearing their own native tongue being spoken. Well, just think about it. If you were over traveling in Japan, and all you hear is people speaking Japanese, but you don't know Japanese, what does it sound like to you? Gibberish. You see that they're talking, but you don't perceive what they're saying. What about the one... Other tourists that's on the corner going, excuse me, excuse me, does anyone speak English? And you hear them. What does your ear do? Immediately it perks up. You go, ha, someone who speaks my language. Hey, where are you from? And you go over to them and you start to talk to them because we speak the same language. 
Can you imagine you're in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden these apostles come out of the upper room, and one is speaking in Arabic, one speaking in Greek, one speaking Latin, I mean fluent, and they're proclaiming the mighty deeds of God. These guys went out and proclaimed the mighty deeds of God, and because of that, because of that day, that first day of Pentecost, some assembly of God churches and other sects of Christianity have held to the fact that you must speak in tongues as an evidence that you have the Holy Ghost. Yet Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's saying, not all have the gift of tongues, do they? And not all have the gift of interpretation of tongues. Some have the gift to speak the language, some have the gift to interpret the language. It's two different gifts. But Christians are weird. They're like, that guy can do it and I can't. Instead of rejoicing that they have someone that has the gift of speaking another language, or they have someone that has a gift of interpreting the language, they're all jealous. You know what the sad thing is? Is they think that that's a measure of whether you have God's Spirit or not. What is the greatest gift of the Holy Ghost? Love is a fruit of the Spirit, we're told. Remember Ephesians 5? The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. By the way, you can have fruits of the Spirit... And not have gifts of the Spirit. There are some people literally bearing fruit for the Lord in the fruits of the Spirit and don't even know about the gifts of the Spirit. It's ironic. They don't know that there's actual gifts on top of the fruits. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And you will prove to be my disciples. Did you know that using the gifts of the Spirit don't prove you're a disciple? But you can use them. And the greatest gift in 1 Corinthians 14 is the gift of prophecy is considered the highest gift of all the gifts of the Spirit. Now, why is prophecy the greatest gift? He said here, first is given to the church apostles, then prophets. He's not saying the importance. The importance of the gifts will be found at chapter 14. Chapter 14 will say that prophecy is. Why? What's the big deal about prophecy? Thus saith the Lord. A prophet doesn't say, thus saith the of the earth. They come wanting to know, God, what do you want for me? Show me what you have for me. And the Lord goes, okay, I will. But he'll use vessels like us to speak through. And guys, you don't want to falsely prophesy, because what do they do to false prophets? They stone them to death. It's not something like you fool around with. Well, I think I'll say, in the name of the Lord, don't ever do that. This is one of the most serious gifts, the greatest gift, but it comes with great consequence if you don't use it correctly. Wouldn't it be great to have someone in your group that has this gift of prophecy? When you're struggling, going, God, I just really need to know what you want me to do. And the Lord goes, oh, don't worry. Go see Aaron. He's got the gift of prophecy. And you go, Aaron, does the Lord have any word for me from you? And he's like, yeah, the Lord told me. Thus says the Lord. You need to stop worrying about that thing and let him take care of it. And you're going, how did he know? It's nice to have a pocket prophet in your group, right? I mean, just happen to have one of them handy. What a cool gift to have around you. But if someone really has that gift, I found this out that there are petty Christians that will be jealous because they have the gift of prophecy. And, well, I can only speak in tongues. Man, whatever gift you have, what are you supposed to do? Use it. All these gifts are to build us up. Now, this isn't the exhaustive list. I mean, if we go to Ephesians 4, verse 11, Paul adds pastors to the list. Pa pastor slash teacher. Evangelists. So that's a gift. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist. Like Billy Graham was an evangelist. Greg Laurie is an evangelist. Those guys have a gifting from God to present the gospel in such a sweet way 
that lets people know, hey, you're perishing. You're like in a stormy sea and you're drowning. You need a, someone to come up with a lifeboat and throw you the life preserver and save your life. And that life preserver is Jesus. And in this storm of this life that we go through, if you don't reach out and grab that preserver, it's being offered to you, but you have to choose to grab it. I've shared this before, but don't ever mix up the word evangelist with the word witness. In our culture, unfortunately, some people use them as synonyms. They think they're the same. And so they say, well, we all have to be witnesses. And they put witness slash i.e. evangelists. No, it says witnesses. Witnesses in Greek means to be a showing of Christ. You need to show Christ through example of your life. All of us are called to be a showing for Jesus. Whatever gifts we have, whatever things we do, we should all show Jesus to the people we're around. But that doesn't mean we all have to go out on the corner and yell, Hey, everybody, get saved or you're going to hell or whatever your picture of an evangelist. Some churches actually force their members to go evangelizing door to door, handing out it's not even their calling to be doing that. If it's your calling, God will bless you and do it. If it's not, the best thing you can do is stay home and use your other gift. Really, I want to emphasize this. When it comes to having whatever gift you have, you need to be in the place where you use your gift and you make sure you do just what you're designed to do. Some of you get jealous that you're not in a different place than God's put you. That's not the correct answer. The correct answer is, why aren't you rejoicing when the other member is, is honored? You should just be going, all right, because we're all one body. If you have the right perspective, you rejoice. And if you see God put certain people together and they're always together, don't be jealous. There's a reason. In the body of Christ, God composed the bodies in such a manner that sometimes some people are meant to stay together their whole entire Christian experience. There's nothing wrong with it. Some people just can't seem to take the example that the Bible gives that we are just part of the body of Christ. I mean, you may not be ever seen in the body. Are you important to the body? Oh, yeah. Those parts that we don't see are the parts that are really necessary for life. There are people in the church that you'll never see. They're behind the scenes. They're doing the work of the Lord, and they're never seen. And you know what the sad part is? They don't always get esteemed the honor that they're due. I mean, honestly, the body of Christ, I don't think, would be healthy like it is without those people that are behind the scenes doing those things. It's weird because in our culture, it's more of a personality cult. It's more of pastor. Who's the guy in the front? It's supposed to be about Jesus, and we're just his body working together. The pastor's just there to equip us for the works and callings in our life. Now, there was a few more presence I wanted to tell you about. One is found in Mark chapter 13, verse 11. When Mark writes, he says, Jesus spoke these words that whenever you're brought before kings or courts, magistrates, on account of my name, don't worry about what you're going to say. Take no thought beforehand. Don't pre-compose. If I ever get brought before a magistrate, I'm going to have to come up with this wonderful speech and discourse, and I better start writing my notes. What did Jesus say? Don't worry what you're going to say. My Holy Spirit will give you the very words, the very utterances that you will speak. You don't have to pre-plan because the Holy Ghost is really good at his job. And that's a gift, by the way. Believe me, if you ever have this experience where you're brought before someone that, why do you believe in Jesus? You're put on the spot. And in that moment that we're put on the spot and we have to give an account for our faith, does the Holy Spirit step in 
and give us words? Sure. Sometimes I've had God give me words, but I had no preparation, no advance notice on the spot. That's a gift of the Holy Ghost speaking to you. Now, turn to Romans 12. This is also Paul, but writing to a different church, the church at Rome, not at Corinth. This is the part what we read about in verse 1. I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. It is acceptable to God. And this is really your spiritual service of worship. Then don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's God's will. How do I prove that? You know how I prove it? I don't get conformed to this world, but I'm transformed by renewing my mind. And I prove what the good and acceptable will of God is when I let God transform me. If you don't let God transform you, you ain't proven to anybody that there's a God. When you let God change you and change you from being conformed to this world and make you transformed into the image of his son, they're like, there's got to be a God. We just got to present ourselves to God. Here I am, God. Do your stuff. That's true worship, by the way. Worship 101 to all the people who want to be on worship team to be willing to say, here I am. To God, here I am. Use this how you see fit. We're just here going, Lord, here we are. We present ourselves to you, living in holy sacrifice. We're alive to you. Use us how you see fit. But Paul went on in the same chapter in Romans 12, and he says in verse 9, we're to let our love be without hypocrisy. We're to abhor what is evil. That means hate what's evil and cling to what is good. In verse 10, it says, and we're to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We're to give preference to one another in honor, and we're to not lag behind in diligence, being fervent in the spirit, and we're to serve the Lord. We're to be rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. We're to bless those that persecute us, and we're to bless and not curse. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to weep with those who weep. We're to be of the same mind towards one another and not to be haughty in mind, not to be prideful, but we're to associate with the lowly and never be wise in our own estimation. We're supposed to be humble. Never pay back evil, it says, for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, Paul uses all of these things. And I submit to you that in this list, he just listed a whole bunch of things that are actually gifts of God's Spirit that we do. Some people don't even realize that there are people who are fervent in the Spirit. Fervent means you're on fire. I submit to you, the world is fascinated when they see us on fire for the Lord. Fervent in the Spirit. Not just, mm, yeah, okay, I believe in God, you know, but not really into it. No. They like to see us on fire, like a flame. And they like to see us not lagging behind in diligence. They like to see us serving the Lord. They like to see us persevering in tribulation. And they like to see us devoted to prayer. Then verse 13 says, and they like to see us contributing to the needs of the saints. They don't want to contribute, but they like to see us do it. You know, isn't it funny how non-Christians say, well, you're a Christian, don't you help out the poor? They don't say, don't I do it? They just say, don't you do it? And some people have a gift of giving. We're told that some give freely. When you give, it says to give freely. Liberally, not under compulsion. God hates someone who is giving under compulsion. He loves a cheerful giver. Giving is a gift. 
there are some people actually gifted with the gift of liberality, freedom. When they give, they just give so freely. And then there's these other people that are like, I'm going to give, but I don't want to. I had some kids come from YWAM one time. They had their last two dollars. And they're trying to decide whether to give or go to McDonald's and get, at the time, they didn't have a lunch on Sundays for them to eat. And the kids were like, I want to give, but I want to eat. And I said, can you give that freely, cheerfully? And the one kid was honest. He's like, not really. I said, then I want you to keep it. And I want you to go to McDonald's and get a sandwich. I said, how do you know God doesn't want you to have a divine appointment? And you're going to be sitting next to somebody and be a light to them. Because if you can't do it cheerfully, don't do it. It doesn't honor the Lord. He doesn't go, yeah, I'm happy because you gave it and you didn't want to. God loves a cheerful giver. And isn't it a good feeling when you get to be used to give in that right where you're cheerful about it and you see the blessing it brings? The person that gets it's like, thank you, I needed that so bad. Look, let's just stay filled with the Spirit, filled with His love, and whatever gift you got, maybe you're the one gifted with hospitality, Maybe you're the one gifted with giving freely. Maybe you're the one gifted with prophetic words or gifts of healing. Whatever gift you have, please use it. Because it will build up the rest of us. And the rest of us will rejoice, okay? I don't want anybody being jealous because somebody else used their gift. I want you to just go far out. Tim used the gift of healing. That guy got healed. I'm not going to be like, oh, bummer. I didn't get to do it. I'd be like, yeah, far out. Wouldn't that be super? And some guy comes up, he's like lame in a wheelchair, and Tim goes over, you want prayer? Praise for him, and the guy pops up and walks away. Do you know that that happened for Jesus? He healed someone at their church service, and they said, you shouldn't do that here. There's six days to do work. You shouldn't be doing that work on the Sabbath. They said that to our Lord. The religious leaders that were jealous that Jesus was using the gifts of God and touching people's lives, they were jealous. Wrong attitude. The message is when one member is honored, all the other members rejoice. Let's do 1 Corinthians 12, 26. When one member suffers, all of us suffer. We should come to the aid. Somebody is hurting in the body of Christ and you know that they're hurting. Get over there. Say, how can I help you? The Bible says we comfort one another with the comfort that God gave us. We can comfort someone else. So that's a beautiful thing, but that's taking it where we actually help each other through the pains of this journey that we're on. So do that this week. Someone's suffering, be there to help suffer with them. When someone's honored, rejoice with them. Don't be petty. Don't be jealous. Say, that's great. I rejoice for you. I rejoice if you are honored with that gift and something great happened. Praise the Lord. Rejoice. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. It's wonderful, it's wonderful what Jesus did for me. It's wonderful, it's wonderful what He can do for you. My life's a celebration, love is wonderful.